Hello listeners, just a quick note about this episode before we get started. I wanted to give you a little bit of the why to this episode. So in this episode, I interview Major General Absalom Palid from the Israeli police. I interview him about his time in a, a very famous Israeli counter-terrorist organization called the Yamam. And the reason I wanted this episode and wanted to interview him was not just because of the amazing story he tells about a, a certain hostage rescue operation, but also knowing the history of the way we approach urban warfare, the way we approach what's called the close quarters combat or close quarters battle, understanding that, that traces all the way back to the 1970s when there was a an explosion of terrorist attacks involving hostage taking from the 1972 Munich massacre of the Israeli Olympians to multiple hijackings of Lufthansa air flights. Basically around the world, multiple countries stood up counter-terrorist organizations United States, Operation Blue Light, Special Forces Operation Detachment Delta, the German GSG-9, in Israel, the Imam. And these organizations developed the close quarters battle tactics that have evolved into most militaries and incorporated into room clearing, which is not all that CQB is about. If you read one of my articles, I wrote about that. But it is where it all started. And those tactics developed by these special organizations bled into the operating force to the regular conventional armies, how to better enter and clear confined spaces, how to use these tactics developed by these experts. So I'm pretty excited about this show. Enjoy it. You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Major General Avshalom Palid. He is the head of Israel Police Training Department. Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. It's a huge honor for me. I, again, want to thank you for hosting us when we visited last summer or this past summer. But I thought we'd start the podcast kind of like we did when we visited. If you could give us a little bit about your background and career in the Israel Security Services. When did you start your career? What positions have you held? I have had a, a really long career, over 35 years, both in the area of counterterrorism and Later on in the classic uh, policing, I commanded in the police two counterterrorism units, the Yamam, the Israeli counterterrorism and hostage rescue team, and an undercover counterterrorism unit. I, later on, I became a, a classic police commander. I commanded police stations. I commanded the sub-districts in the Israeli police, and I was the deputy commander of the Jerusalem district between 2014 and 2016, when we experienced waves of lone wolf terror attacks. In 2017, I was given the responsibility to establish a national training department to unify, actually, and expand training in the Israeli police. Yes, sir. I know that's a quick summary of, wow, 35 years. I heard you mention, and one of the reasons we're having this conversation, I know we could talk for a very long time about each of your positions, I'm sure, especially after visiting Jerusalem and understanding how many of the police are there and what it takes to secure 
Jerusalem, one of the most important cities in the world. But I heard you mention that you were a member of Yamam, the Israeli police special counterterrorist organization. Could you give us a little bit about what is the Yamam? When was it created? Why was it created? What is its purpose? I'm really fascinated about this internationally recognized organization called Yamam. Yeah, so Yamam, it's not, it belongs, it's a branch in the Israeli police, but it's unique. In order to, to be recruited to Yamam, you have to be after combat army service. And I, I was a company commander in the army, in the armed corps. I was a captain, I was a company commander, and I wished to join the Yamam. So I took off my ranking officer ranks and started all over again in Yamam. Yamam is a special unit in the Israeli police which deals with counterterrorism and hostage rescue. The one was established in 1974 when the Israeli police took over responsibility for internal security from the Israeli Defense Forces. It was actually due to a governmental decision and it was after several terrorist attacks, including one in the north of Israel, in the small city of Maalot, where in a terror attack, 21 children were murdered after taking hostages. And after this, in a special governmental meeting, they decided that Israel police will take over all responsibility for internal security in Israel. And due to this, they decide to establish uh, the Yamam. I can say more that the Yamam unit is self-sufficient. That means that it has its own specialities, including snipers, cannon units, demolition and bomb disposal units, expert entry teams, medical teams, and other and other like I said, self-sufficient, expert in all, we say, the suit of tools that we need for combating terror. Yes, sir. So you said it was started in 1974. When did you join the organization? If I will say uh, the time that I joined, you will know how old I, uh, am I. So, but no, this is just a joke. I joined the Imam in uh, 1985 after leaving the army as a captain. In 1985, I joined, I attended basic combat course, which lasted for, I don't know, seven, eight months. I started as, we call it in Hebrew, as a warrior. And then I was promoted and became a platoon commander in the Yamam. Wow. So, sir, I know one of the reasons that I asked for this podcast, like I said, I could do multiple podcasts over your different assignments with her fascinating. But one of them was the Yamam operation, which I, I now know is a very historic and, and famous hostage rescue, that you were part of a Yamam operation on March 7th, 1988, responding to an incident where three Palestinian terrorists hijacked a bus full of Israeli women traveling to work near the town of Diamona, known as the Mother's Bus Attack. Uh, sir, could you Walk us through that and tell us basically the details of that hostage rescue operation for your mom. Yes, of course. This was one of the significant uh, operations that Yamam did in those days. And I think it was the first one that Yamam led in hostage rescue operation because 
in the times before it, who did it is army unit. And this was the first time, I can say, that very successful operation that Yamam led. So I will tell you a few things about this operation. I will start in early morning of March 7th, 1988, when three terrorists infiltrated from Egypt to Israel through the Israel-Egypt border. They got rather remote road in the far uh, west-south of Israel. They hijacked the car with passengers. The passengers ran away and they took the car. And afterwards, they succeeded to hijack the bus and to take the passengers as hostages, most of them women. In the same time, let's go 50 kilometers from there. At the same time, a little bit later, at the Amman base, the emergency alarm bell rang. And when it's, when it's ringing, this emergency bell, we know that this is not a drill. This is an emergency bell. And we knew we were at beds. We woke up immediately, ran to the, our uh, operational vehicles, and got to the vehicles. By the way, even before we know what is happening, we are ready to move. The officers sit in the vehicles and ask the three uh, platoon commanders, the sniper squad commander, the cannon commander, the intelligence commander. We all sat with our uh, commander, the Imam commander, and we knew just little what is happening. Our commander told us that we got an information that uh, there is a bus who had hijacked and there are maybe three, four terrorists who took hostages in this bus. Uh, we knew that there is a negotiation team who's trying to negotiate with the terrorists. And you know, they had two goals, the negotiation team, to try and calm the situation down and as well to buy us some time. When we go the direction and initial intelligence of what happening, we started all the unit and I speak about, I don't know, approximately 100 people. We started to drive very fast to the scene area. While driving, we got some more information. We knew that uh, the bus is standing in the middle of the road. We knew that the bus is, is actually transportation for women who are working in a, a factories around the city of uh, Dimona. We knew that the terrorists who hijacked a small car near the border stopped the bus in the middle of the road. They got the, the driver of the bus and he immediately understood that those are probably terrorists. He opened the two doors of the bus and yelled, everybody run, there are terrorists here. Most of the passengers succeeded to run. Who were left in the bus, by the way, including the driver. So who were left in the bus were 10 people, one man and nine women. All of them are workers in the factories in the neighborhood. We call it the mother's bus because all of them were mother. By the way, the man was a single father with no wife. And all of this we learn on, on our way to the scene. It took us something like 45 minutes, 40 minutes to get to the area. 
In order that not to be uh, observed by the bus and the terrorists, we stopped our cars before the area of the hijacked bus, and we call it in Hebrew, stagging area, an area that all the forces come and are organizing there. So we arrived at the stagging area, not far from the bus, and our commander, the Yamam commander, told us, the three platoon commanders and sniper commander, let's find an observation point to look at the bus and to plan, to plan how to attack and set free the hostages. And we crawled on our bellies on a very uh, low hill to observe the bus. You must understand that when I speak about about low hill, this area in, in Israel is called the Negev. It's Hebrew name. And it's actually a desert in the south of Israel. And the, the problem with this area, with this topography, when you want to make an army operation like this, is that the topography is very flat. So it's very challenging when you speak about hiding, finding a hiding, a hidden route, a making an observation, a snipers, places to, to hide in. So it's very challenging. So we find this low, shallow hill and observe we were the three platoon commanders and Alex said, the Imam commander said, okay, so two platoons will stay here on this hill. You will attack the bus from this direction. There are two doors and the windows. And the plan is, and this is the procedure, that when you want to set free hostages, you want to very quickly to work and attack the terrorists from each opening. What I mean, through doors, through windows, in order to do it quickly and save lives of hostages. So he told the other two platoon commanders, you will stay here, you, platoon number one, you will take the two doors and platoon commander number two, you will take the windows in this side. And he asked me to, he told me, you have to find a way to get to the other side of the bus. In order that as we train to, we'll take the bus, we attack it from both sides. So I got this mission. I took my approximately 30 people with me with all our gears, and we have special short ladders, special ladders for the windows of the bus, and I had to find some, some route to get to the other side of the bus, and I remind you that the topography is very flat. It's really challenging. So we found safe, hidden route to the other side of the bus. Fortunately, we discover a shallow, dry stream bed, which followed us exactly very close to the bus. It even wasn't a stream bed. It was actually a, some kind of a crack into the, the, the ground of the area. So we crawled. Actually, we crawled on our bellies for a while, and we got very close to the bus. And we waited. The agreement or the plan was that, you know, the Imam commander uh, got the permission from our commissioner 
and from the Ministry of Interior that responsible for the Israeli police, that if the terrorists will be inside of all our snipers, we can break in. And I will pause for a minute and say that as we prepared the three platoons, two platoons in one side and the third platoon, my platoon, in the other side of the bus, the snipers positioned in two sides of the bus, in front of the front windshield and in front of the back shield of the bus. And why is that? This is an, an old bus, you know, we're talking about 1988. So the buses back then had curtains and the terrorists closed all the curtains of the windows. The only windows that we were able to see through was the front windshield and the rear uh, window. So our snipers, they find a good uh, hiding positions in those two sides. And so I go back to the story and what was agreed that if the three terrorists are on site of the snipers, the Imam commander can say the order, attack. So we waited not for too long. And suddenly, Alec, our commander, this is his name, yelled in the radio, yelled, attack, attack, attack. In this minute, not minutes, seconds, split seconds, I heard a volley of the snipers shooting, and we all jumped on our feet and ran, how do you say in English, like hell to the bus, like mad people. And there were some bullets who hit in the ground next to us, but we ran and my platoon, we got on those short ladders, broke the windows with special small hammers and pointed with our guns inside the bus searching for terrorists. Suddenly, I heard shooting just next to me. I looked to my right and I saw one of my people shooting shooting inside the bus. I said, hey, what's going on? He told me, one of the terrorists with his automatic rifle is beneath me, and I shot him. I shot him and neutralized him. After learning what happened, we could learn that the three terrorists actually was in sight of the snipers. But I don't know how, in a split second before the snipers shot the terrorists, one of them was just lied between the two benches in the bus. And my man, who got on the splatter, saw him and shot him because he was with his automatic rifle. When this part finished, we all, as we trained and agreed according to our plan, I took all my people from the windows, we finished our mission, and got a little bit farther from the bus, while in the meantime, one of the platoon from the other side evacuated all the hostages. They evacuated and freed the hostages through the rear window. And why is that? Because there were some suspicious wires next to the front door, and our uh, Bob experts thought that maybe it is a booby trap. 
So we evacuated everybody from the rear uh, window while our mob expert dealing with the, with the bus. There was no obituary. So this is the operation. During the operation, uh, three people were killed, but it was before the operation. We find them dead already, four of the hostages. When we and investigated the incident, we find that uh, when the terrorists took over the bus after the driver and other passengers ran away, we found that the terrorists got to the man, the only one of uh, 10 passengers, the others were women, and asked them to drive the bus. They wanted to get to the city of Dimona and to escalate the incident. So the man said, I don't know how to drive the bus. And they just shot him on the place. When they shot him, the women uh, screamed. So the terrorists shot one of the women. In this shooting, the other two women got hit and died later on. When we took over the bus, unfortunately, all those poor guys were dead already. I can say that all the operation, starting with our commanders say, attack, attack, to the, the end of this operation took something like 10 seconds, 11 seconds. For us, it was successful operation and it helped us to build the name and the professionalism of our unit. Unfortunately, we cannot forget it, never. Four people were killed in this operation. So I, I hope I covered all, but this is the, you know, the main principles of what we did in the mother's bus. Yes, sir. That was amazing. So much there, such a historic operation. And just a couple of things I took from it was just the incredible amount of risk that was involved to have a bus stopped in the middle of the desert. It's almost crazy to think about how much you had to crawl through the desert in order to, to get up to it because it's just in this open desert. That's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of the other things, sir, you know, I'm an urban warfare guy. I study you know, lots of aspects to urban warfare. I found it very interesting about why it's called the mother's bus and why the bus was where it was at the time. From the reading idea was because, yeah, they're on their way to work, not only to the factory, but they're on their way to work as a group after they've dropped their kids off at school. And that's part of this, the timing. Yes. For me, that's you know, part of understanding the urban flows and the, the transportation network, how that played into this, this hostage situation. One other aspect, sir, was you said it took 45 minutes um, back then. I know this is, you know, this is early 1988 and driving in by vehicles. Did you ever wish that you guys had a helicopter to get to your staging area? This is a very good question, <laughs> but one of the, one of them, we, we, it, there were many lessons who were taught from this event, but one of the lessons is that we need an air uh, airborne when we go to uh, incidents like this. Probably it would make it easier. I can say that today it is much better arriving incidents because today there are helicopters in, in standby all the time for events like this, and probably it would be much better today. But back then, it's, it's a very good comment. 
and it's one of the lessons that we learn from uh, event like this. You must understand that we are police and helicopters are army helicopters. And I think that one of the lessons we learned from this event is that we tightened the cooperation between police army and Yamamin army. Yes, sir. That's why I assume just because of how this is the late 80s, but it's an aspect of, the, as I look at from the, even the 2008 Mumbai attacks that I studied a few years ago, how important helicopters would have been because of you're moving through cities, through traffic and trying to get somewhere quickly. It's in some cities, in some areas, it's just impossible unless you have air. Of course. Of course. By the way, since then, we established in the Israel police a helicopter unit. And these helicopter units operate also small planes in case of uh, fires, big fires. But today we have a small air force in the Israeli police. Yes, sir. I mean, we could do a whole episode on how impressed I was by all the different assets of the Israeli police and the Magav and everything today from the motorcycle patrols about how in Israel, what I found other people measure response in minutes, but in Israel, they measure police response in seconds. Yes, we must. This is uh, when we say, I told the beginning of my words that that I was deputy commander in Jerusalem and uh, in 2014-16. And in this time, we experienced waves of lone wolf terror attacks. And what we did, you know, that when you speak about lone wolf, surprise element in it's in his hand, in the lone wolf's hand, because he's a lone wolf. Nobody knows about his plans. He chose the, the place, he chose the time, he chose the victim. There is no infrastructure. So what we did in Jerusalem back then it's it's to minimize the reaction of first responders. And you're totally right. We measure it by seconds and few minutes, the reaction of first responders. Yes, sir. So, sir, one of my last questions was, you mentioned the lesson about, of course, the air. Are there any other lessons you took from this operation or your mom took from the mother's bus operation? Probably we took a lot of lessons, some operational lessons like, you know, like the helicopters, replaced all of our vehicles. We worked and still working on our procedures and tactics and strategics. Of course, uh, there are many of them because in every event you learn something. Of course, I took personal lessons in a matter of uh, professionalism, in a matter of matters of uh, leadership, how to take people to an operation that you are going for sure to be under a life risk. So I, I, I learned a lot and probably uh, I was rather young, a, a young officer in the Yamam and young officer in the police. And uh, I think that this is one of the things that built me as an uh, officer and high-ranking officer, as a leader. Of course, those things, uh, you know, shape your life shape your career, shape your uh, uh, leadership uh, character, of course. Yes, sir. I can definitely feel that. And I definitely understand, like you said, that 
this was a, a major event in the history of your mom and really set the stage for them being recognized as this extremely professional counterterrorist organization. Thank you very much. Well, sir, I really appreciate your time. It's been a great honor. This is a fascinating operation and the detail you were able to give us. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you and thank you for having me in your podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of their participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out NDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.